Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Ladies and gentlemen, and we are back for another episode of Puck and Roll. And of course, the big news today, Craig Berube signed a three-year extension with St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I hear those crickets. <laughs> nope, unless you've been living under a rock. Well, Dominique Duchamp is long gone, and Woo-hoo! taking his place is a name that absolutely nobody expected in the name of Hall of Famer Martin Saint-Louis. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, obviously more questions than answers. There is a press conference schedule for tomorrow being Thursday in the morning with obviously maybe we're going to have some answers uh, as to like what the story is, but you know, here to debate is uh, our friend Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa, and of course, Anthony DeMarco making his return behind the microphone with us. Scott Cowan should be joining us a little bit later. Good evening, gentlemen. Going? Pretty good. And actually, you know what? We are going to have a small pause. We're have a little dramatic drum roll. I am literally adding a dramatic drum roll because joining us at this time is Scott Cowan. Hey, buddy. Great timing. Great timing. We're literally in the intro and we're like, oh, joined a little by it's going to be Scott. But nope, Scott is with us. So full house tonight. Gentlemen, Martin Saint-Louis. New head coach of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm going to start with Anthony, actually, and I would like to know your opinion. We do a round table before we start influencing each other's comments. So, uh, Anthony, yeah, how, what do you think about having, um, I'm guessing, what is this, the second or third head coach in, in Habs history with zero experience behind the bench? Well, look, it's Marty St. Louis. He obviously carries a lot of name value, and I think that, in a lot of ways, this was kind of um, not directly a PR move for the Montreal Canadiens, but they needed to do something that would win back some good faith with the Habs faithful. Obviously, the Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes hirings didn't go over swimmingly with a certain portion of the media and the fan base. And I think I Marty's what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> <Quack>. <laughs> and, and, and they didn't. 
I guess they were kind of outside the box hires, specifically Kent Hughes, a guy who had been a player agent before, no no experience working in an NHL front office. So you go out and you get a guy, Marty Saint-Louis, and albeit he has no experience behind the bench, but it's a name that everyone is automatically going to recognize. Everyone is going to automatically assume will do a good job, even though that may be, I guess, unfair to expect, but you attach the name value and the quality of the player, people will jump and latch onto that. And obviously, he is a Quebecois, he is a Francophone, and that will go a long way. And I think this is kind of a um, an olive branch of sorts to kind of appeal to that segment of the fan base that was very upset with um, Jeff Molson's decisions to go with hires from, as a lot of people thought, were outsiders. And I don't know if this is a long-term fix, as we... You know, as we saw in the press release, he is the interim head coach. Maybe that evolves into something more in player development or they're in the front office in the future. But in the short term, I think it's a good way for them to uh, kind of win over some of the fan base they may have pissed off in the last several months. It's an excellent uh, point there, Anthony. I'm going to send it to Sebastian for the for the follow up, um, especially we've been hearing that little tidbit about um, St. Louis going into a more management role afterwards and being like, well, maybe this interim position is just an evaluation, so to, sport, uh, so, so to speak, of the players and the leadership inside the locker room. Um, and uh, maybe next year, well, St. Louis stays with the team and it ends up being, in, like you said, an employer development or even assistant general manager. Um, and then maybe that will hire Patrick Roy, but you know that's another story altogether. Please, but, no. but Sebastian, I know yeah, exactly. I know you're a giant fan of Roy, so go ahead. What's your what's oh. your take on the hiring? I, you know, it's it's an interesting one because again, he has no experience, and it's tough to like evaluate how he's going to do. But I'm a really big fan of it for a few particular reasons. I think the main ones are just like how the contract is structured. It's a one-year deal, and he's an interim, right? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't go over well, if he doesn't, if, he's, if he proves to be a bad coach, <laughs> nothing's lost. Like it's not going to be worse than Zuchel. The development of young players is not going to be worse than it has been so far this season. This team has nothing to lose with this hiring because there's they're not like handcuffing themselves to a long-term agreement either. But I I, I do actually have some hope for for this because again, look, he's he's a he was a player and he was small, undersized, very intelligent and cerebral. He's going to fit very well with the young group of players that we have on the team right now, especially Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. And <laughs> at the very, at the very least, Cole Caulfield is going to play more than 13 minutes a night. And he's going to be playing on a power play that has actual structure. That is not just Petrie point, shots in the point. So that makes me hopeful. And another thing, I, at, I, least, at least Caulfield was, is, is finally going to be able to, to look at the coach directly in the eye. So, oh my God, he must, he must be like, I had to make a short joke. Right I'm now. sorry. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, there's there's no way that that, that Caulfield is not like celebrating right now. He Absolutely. has to be like. Um, but I also want to recommend everyone to check out an episode of a podcast. So about a year ago, um, the Hockey IQ podcast, which is run by Greg Rayback, who's an American like Triple A AAA coach, really smart guy, and he interviewed uh, Marty Saint Louis a, a year ago, talking about his coaching philosophy and. Marty said someone really does a deep dive into what his thinking is in terms of coaching and what his ideology is. And he goes into real depth about like the quality, like the value he sees of like when your team has the puck, 
the puck carrier is the least important player on the ice. It is all the players around them that are really the integral ones. And the puck carrier is, is mainly the facilitator. And he, he goes really into depth of just how he thinks the game. So for Habs fans that are kind of like hockey geeks and want to kind of just like get an insight into the new head coach's mind, that's a podcast episode to check out. Uh, and yeah, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful. And again, I really don't think that the team has anything to lose here. All right. After that's a free plug, <laughs> Scott, uh, I am going to read you a tweet, actually a, a two tweets, as a matter of fact. And I'd like your comment on this as well, because um, it's being it's been being uh, circulated in the last hour or so. But uh, it's, it seems that it's just it's going to be confirmed tomorrow. Marc-Olivier Baudouin, a writer, uh, has tweeted, hearing Vincent de Cavalier will be named assistant to the GM Kent Hughes, should be announced as soon as tomorrow. Stay tuned. And then Andrew Zadonowski says, <laughs> Le Cavalier will be a hab, and it won't cost us Subban, patch ready, price, and a first. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> so, Marty St. Louis as head coach, Vinny Le Cavalier as assistant general manager. Um, again, two guys without experience, but you know, who knows what exactly that's going to, uh, that's going to give us Scott. Um, you're a very plugged man and I'm sure you're, and I've been reading about your father. It's, it's just, it's, you know, it's inevitable that, you know, Stu Cowan has been all around. Been He's been a busy very day. busy day. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's hear from junior. What do you, uh, what, what do you make of this hiring? I appreciate that, Patrick. Uh, the thing is, I'm going to go back to what Sebastian said about this contract and the Habs have nothing to lose. And a lot of people are going to have made the point that Marte St. Louis and Vincent McCavity don't have the experience that you one would expect from this kind of job. But not only do the Habs have nothing to lose with this contract, the Habs have nothing to lose, period. People seem to forget about how bad this Canadian team has been this year. And the one thing they're in need of is a reset, and the one thing they're in need of is a fresh start, and that's exactly what Marte St. Louis is going to give this team, even if he has no experience, even if he's an inexperienced coach. He's going to give this team a fresh chance and a chance to restart and look at the season as a completely new slate. Dominic Ducharme is gone, and when he left the ice or when he left the bench on, on a 7-1 loss to the New Jersey Devils, he looked like a man who had nothing left to offer this team. He looked like a man who was defeated. He looked like a man who knew that his job was coming to an end, and inevitably it did come to an end. So I, I'm just intrigued to see what Sailor we can bring to this team. I think his path that he's taken on his career is one that a lot of the players can relate to, and one that I think will be inspiring for these players. And I just I'm interested to see exactly what he can bring to the table. And whatever it is, I hope it's better than what Ducharme brought to so far this season. Guys, one calendar year is the reign of Dominic Ducharme. It's, I want to say I wouldn't call it a rain necessarily, Patrick. Uh, yeah, boring. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Like his presence amongst us, 83 games that it lasted, but like 23 wins, something. 23 wins, 46 losses, 14 ties. Yep. And and what's what's the oh. most incredible about it is that when he did get hired, everyone was so high on him, being like, "Yes, he's the future of the NHL. He's going to be a great head yep. coach." And now that he's gone, everyone's like, "Finally!" So mm-hmm. like, how how insane can you know a year make? And Josh, I'm going to send it to you for the last comments. Um, and before we, um, uh, we hear from you, I just want to put into, uh, into parentheses real quick that I uh, chatted with your dad earlier, uh, Mr. Rocco. Um, and uh, I asked him uh, what he thought about the hiring. And he said that he knows nothing about St. Louis and he does know who he is. So please tell him to turn on the TV a little more often. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to Rocco. We love you, buddy. <laughs> but on a more serious note, so Josh, I mean, we'd, we'd love to know your take as well, especially like what are, what's the buzz like in Ontario as well? Like what's, uh, what are people saying in your neck of the woods? 
Well, first of all, I want to point out that I think two or three podcasts ago, I suggested that the Canadians hire a former player with no coaching experience. I got a little sad trombone wah, for wah. it, but you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it was the wrong player, but hey, whatever. I'll take it. Um, I think it's great. Uh, we've talked so much about how Montreal is steeped in the Habs themselves are steeped in such rich history and sometimes they can be mired and mucked down in it like what we were talking about possible replacements for Ducharme where you always circle back to the same kinds of people your uh, Michel Therrien's your Claude Julien's and all that and like you see the results that they get from it and we've seen what results people like that have gotten over the past two decades of pretty much failure to really contend for anything seriously other than a few miracle Cinderella runs. I think kind of shooing the mission and going for a new interesting face, especially on an interim, no expectations, no weight basis. I think it reap really big rewards, especially to what basically is St. Louis' son, Cole Caulfield. He's the same player, essentially. It can't, and then you got to remember, it can't get worse than Ducharme. Like, he lost a bunch of games. They scored like 35 goals in the last five games against Montreal. And, but more importantly, he just wasn't letting the young kids play. He wasn't letting them develop. And you can't do worse than Ducharme. So, I say bring him on. Let's see what he could do. Oh, I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm thinking Randy Cunningworth or even uh, oh, okay. Mario okay. Tremblay could be worse. But uh... well, yeah. But, <laughs> but I think. I think honestly, one of the biggest things is just the the second that Marty Saint Louis walks into the room, he will have the respect of every single player there. Whereas Zuchaume sure. lost the respect of basically every player. Right? Like it was so clear for everyone on the outside here that no player was trusting his message anymore, that no one would bought into his philosophy. Marty St. Louis immediately has the respect of every player on the halves, every person in the organization, every player that, that they play against. So that's, that's already a huge upgrade on its own. I'm going to go back to Anthony, if uh, you don't mind, buddy. Um, and I, first of all, I'm sure you appreciated how um, we're kind of anti-recycling old coaches, especially in the, uh, in the name of Annie Vigneault, you being a, Flyers fan and everything. Um, I don't know if I, I th- in in one way I think Duchamp failing might be the best thing that 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 ha- that could happen to this team. And 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 Sebastian just said that you know he lost he basically lost the room right. And you know and then and that Saint Louis might walk in and command respect and everything. But at the same time, when you get guys like Jeff Petrie getting on the ice and literally not giving a shit, you know, just floating around at 6 million a year. And, you know, and and when you see the, like Yoel Armia, like literally just looking at the play and not even getting into his proper position and everything. Zero goals in the year for him. Casper the friendly ghost. Casper the friendly ghost. Yeah. And he doesn't look that friendly these days and everything. So, I mean, Anthony, like, do you agree? Maybe this is one of those like, you know, poison gifts, so to speak, and being like, hey, you know what? It sucks for Duchamp, but at the same time, maybe we have finally seen the, the true identity of this team, and that's 
just we have a lot of selfish players and the leadership really wasn't there. And the last playoffs, we've said it time and time again, Corey Perry and Eric Stahl. Those were the two guys who stood up, got Shea Weber to shake it off, got Carey Price to shake it off, and there you go. But now there is no Eric Stahl. There is no Corey Perry. There is no Shea Weber, and there might never be a Carey Price again. Well, here's the thing. You look at all the guys that played integral roles for the Montreal Canadiens last spring and summer, and who are the big names that jump out? Phil Deno shutting down Austin Matthews in the first round of the playoffs. Shea Weber a guy like Joel Edmondson, who hasn't played all year, Carey Price playing, trying to turn back the clock and playing elite-level goaltending, quality veteran depth players like Eric Stahl and Joel Armia, uh, not Joel Armia, <laughs> Corey Perry, like you alluded to. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, you wish it was Joel Armia. But, um, and now that all those guys are gone, the cream is kind of rising to the top as to what this team is made out of beyond those players. And... I don't think this is a bad team when fully healthy, but I do think it's a team that lacks leadership. Like who is the de facto captain right now? I guess it's automatically Brendan Gallagher, but Gallagher is a guy who I think is rapidly approaching the twilight of his career. Jeff Petrie clearly thrusted into the undisputed number one defenseman role, cannot do that. And as you mentioned just before, it seems like the effort level is in the toilet as well. And for a guy like Dominic Ducharme, like, look, I've never been a fan of the the all-too-common fire-the-head-coach, appoint-the-assistant coach uh, tactic. There, there's evidence and tangible ones that it has worked, a case in point Craig Berube in St. Louis most recently. But I've often kind of been of the belief of, if you're going to change the coach, change the entire voice, you know, we saw it in Philadelphia this year. They fire Alain Vigneault, they appoint Mike Yo, the head coach, and it's been just as bad, if not worse, at times. So I and I think that the writing was kind of on the wall for Dominic Ducharme the second that Bergevin moved on, because it's very rare to see new management groups stick with their old coaches. They want to bring in their new guys. But all Ducharme did, or by extension the players did, was fast-track the inevitable and see a guy canned after only a full calendar year behind the bench. So while in a lot of ways it was probably a blessing in disguise because you have been able to indicate some players who probably weren't as good as we once believed or hoped them to believe or hoped them to be, I do think it is also just Dominic Ducharme just being a tired voice because he had been around in the Claude Julien era as well. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. You know what? I, I didn't think about it that way. It, it being like, yeah, you know what? Craig Berube might have just been an exception to the rule, so to speak. An outlier. And- yeah, exactly. And, and it's just an oddity, so to speak. And then next thing you know, you're appointing Ducham, who was part of the Julien, the Julien group. And it's just essentially the same voice, because at the same time, whether you like it or not, the way that Ducham was coaching the team is very similar to the way Julien was coaching the team in the way that the matchups are, are, are being designed and even the lineups for that matter. Um, but now here comes the fun parts. So... Let's assume that the plan is indeed, you know, since that St. Louis has that interim tag and um, 
you know, he is just there to evaluate the team, evaluate the leadership, evaluate the assistants at the same time, because it's not guaranteed that the assistants will even be there next year. Um, and I know we've talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but now it's even more um, relevant than ever. Who will be the next head coach? Who is going to be that guy? Because now we're starting to see what kind of, you know, group and mentality that we're starting to get, especially now, you know, with Mason Cavalier who's going to be coming into the fold. And, you know, whether you like it or not, Petrie, Petrie's gone. Sherrod is gone. Um, and we've mentioned off-air as well, the guy, guys like Armia, Hoffman, um, maybe even Drouin might be gone. Uh, we, Sebastian, I think you mentioned Tyler Toffoli. Uh, yeah, and Lekin and get generating a lot of trade interest. Dvorak, maybe. Um, I mean, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of, of, of assets that can be traded. And I w- just wish that this was 2023 and 2022 and we were going after Connor Bedard and, instead of it, Shane it, Wright. If it's been a one-year <laughs> difference, like this, this entire group right now, we would not be happy about the, po- the coaching change. We would be furious yeah. because we'd be like, our tank commander just got fired. We wanted Bedard. You know, now it's like, you know, Wright is a great prospect, but the top five are all pretty good. So it's all good. They're also not prospects who are going to immediately change your team's fortune. This is the thing. They're solid players at the end of the day. They're good. The point I'm going to make that I've written, I've I've mentioned this in a post I'm going to write today, is that it doesn't matter which way you slice it. It doesn't matter what you slice it with. and It doesn't matter what you choose to slice. The Montreal Canadiens are in need of a full-on just reset right now. And I think when you're trying to to answer the question of who the next head coach will be, the answer is most people just aren't going to be able to answer that because the Canadiens are in in such a state right now that everything is going to be fresh. Everything needs to be fresh. So I think we need to wait till the season maybe is coming to an end or concluding or just see how St. Louis does before we can even think about what lies next for this team sometimes well i think the one thing that we could agree on is that the team needs a proper identity because this is like when you when you talk about you know let's say like you talk about the colorado avalanche for example the first thing you think is offensive powerhouse you know um think about the florida panthers and again you think about an extremely well-balanced team um and no attendance but whatever you know Uh, you think about carolina and you're thinking wow okay so like you think rob brendamore you know then you think about the montreal canadians and all you think about is how much they suck and they're dead last in the league. There's literally no positive about it, you know? So Can I chime in right there with just the identity part? Yeah, go So what, what I find really cool is that all these hirings, like ever that like Gorton has, has made since he came in, they're all on the same page, mm-hmm. all of them. Kent Hughes said in his opening press conference, he wants a team with like fun offense. Obviously you need good defense too, but like he was really putting a lot of weight on skill and offense. Mario St. Louis was the definition of skilled offensive hard worker. Like that, that is his career, right? That, that is exactly what he, what he was. And, and I guess you could, you could throw in defying the odds, defying the odds as well. Because exactly. The Calgary Diversity. Flames wanted like literally just let him go. They wanted nothing to do with him. Craig you Button, know? man. <laughs> Craig Craig I think as I mentioned, really touches that Martin Saint Louis wasn't even an NHL player at first. He was an IHL player who eventually yeah. found his way to the NHL. Yeah, he wasn't even lot, drafted. Work. Yeah, he's Not an undrafted free agent. Yeah, exactly. And we, but, love, we, now, we love, we love those underdog stories. But, but now the entire better data root for <laughs> who could you pick? Uh, yeah, exactly. for sure. He's, he's, he's so likable. And but now everyone that's been hired, they're all on the same page of they want offense. They want this to be an entertaining modern team. Same thing. Mathe Louis is known to be in favor of analytics as well. 
it's it's continuing the trend of everyone hired here wants an analytics department. So it looks like that's going to actually happen, which is also exciting for me. Yeah, I know you're obsessed with analytics, so you're like jumping. Oh, shut up! You're jubilee session. It's <laughs> it. Come on. I mean, to jump in and offer a thing really quick. I mean, you make a good point, Sebastian, because a lot of the players who we judge that face value and we judge based on the old school hockey ideology, like Mike Hoffman, haven't worked out, and the things they're supposed to bring to the table that everyone thought they yeah, bring exactly. to the table, they haven't. No, no. So as you're much as absolutely I'm against, right on that, yeah. As much as I'm against analytics personally, I think. At this point, I, anything goes. Like, throw anything at the board. Uh, contact Billy Bean. Contact the Oakland Athletics. Billy Bean! <laughs> <laughs> but can he get on base? That is the question. <laughs> on that note, though, I mean, the when, when we're trying to search for this identity, um, now it's, the, now it's the, the big question, especially if you're Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon, and you're looking at this entire roster and you're looking at the future and you're looking at the prospects that are in our pipeline and you wonder, do you actually blow it up as you know, like the, you know, the rebuilds of your and you're and, and you sit at the bottom of the standings for four or five years, get as many topics as possible and then you start or because you're in a market like Montreal and the fans are absolutely obsessed with winning and they have zero patience for anything. Um, do you start maybe doing a few parallel trades in order to get a few veterans in, make the, make the youngsters, you know, play again. And then, you know, like, for example, you got guys like Claude Giroux who's on, the, who's on the, who's been on the trade block. Apparently I'm sure Anthony can probably chime in on that one as well. Um you know, or do you just say, no, screw it. Our top line is going to be Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield and it's ride or die. I mean, what do we do from here? Anyone chime in. Yeah, I'll jump on that. I, I, I think that with the Montreal Canadiens, you got to go with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, ride or die. Nick Suzuki to me is maybe not a superstar in the making, but I think he's a long-term 1C on this team. Uh, I think he's one of the few contracts that Mark Bergevin did a good job on. I think that is going to age like a fine wine, especially when the cap slowly starts to creep up, which eventually it will. Maybe not now because of the COVID restrictions in Canada, but eventually it will. And set of less than $8 million for a 1C is very good these days. And I think he's only scratched the surface. And once this team gets back on track, it's going to uh, mean a lot for Nick Suzuki in terms of confidence and eventually when they start bringing in more quality players. But I just don't think the timing is quite there for the Montreal Canadiens to start adding in big-name players. Chime in really quick and offer a point that I think one of the guys who's been on the trade block who I don't think is deserving of it is Tyler Toffoli personally. And I feel like he's a guy that honestly the Canadian should look to stick with the team throughout his contract, maybe going forward. He has 25 points in 34 games. He's been solid when he's been called upon and he hasn't had a bad season. He's on pace for 60 points over 82 games and he's playing at his usual pace. And the fact that Montreal fans are just kind of throwing him to the fire because he's sort of in the same camp as Hoffman as the type of player that he is just isn't fair, I don't think. And I think that Toffoli deserves to see a, ch a chance to play with these heads going forward. And most importantly he's a guy who loves playing here and he loves the city of Montreal which has been a very rare sight for a lot of guys over these past few seasons so while I think that it's fair to assume that uh, he would be on the trade block I think he's not deserving of it and I would love to see him maybe continue with the Canadians going forward yeah I kind of um I don't want to say detest the idea of a reset in that way but um don't 
really like it that much. It seems too close to the whole make the playoffs and see what happens kind of thing without the, but I say, I think it's missing the high ambition of a rebuild. I really think that we should start from the ground up and really try and build a team that can consistently make the playoffs and instead of thinking maybe we could make the playoffs, it becomes maybe we can win the division. We can make the finals on a consistent basis rather than let's just see what happens. And to me, that says full rebuild. I mean, it's kind of started. We've got really good young prospects like Caulfield, Suzuki, Gooley, um, uh Farrell, they're all coming up and they are going to be good. So I don't think it's like as bad as everyone's saying that we have to do a full rebuild, but I think we it's steering away from a reset would be the best decision for this management group right now, just to build a culture that can win consistently rather than just, uh, we'll see what happens. All right, we still have a lot to talk about, and let's move on to maybe a different topic for now. And for now, uh, joined with Josh, Sebastian, and Scott, we say thank you to Anthony DeMarco, who had to, to log off. Thanks for, Thank you very much for joining us. It was great hearing from him. Um, one of the topics I'd like to uh, discuss before we get into you know, some nitty-gritty rumors that I'm sure everyone has has heard um, is something that kind of went a, not completely unnoticed, but now it definitely got buried with the, you know, the news of Jusham and St. Louis, um, is the nomination of Samuel Montembeau to the Molson Cup. Now, for those unaware, the Molson Cup is given to the top Canadians player every month. Um, and with a, I think it was a, what, a four point something GAA or something, uh, Montembeau was the best of the worst and he was named player of the month. I mean, I, 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 that's just absolutely sad. So really quick, um, was it worth going through that embarrassment and should we just name a yearly winner instead of going every month at this point? I'd say, I'd say I name a yearly winner. <laughs> I, th- I thought, I thought Montembeau had a, really solid month even though the numbers aren't saying it I, I watched i watched quite a few of the games like i didn't watch the new jersey one but like he had a couple really bad ones like he had a couple like six goals against ones where he just got left in the net got pulled a couple times too but he was the only player that had some dominant performances this month on the Habs. like no one else like even came close to stealing a game and Montombo was the only reason we made, made to overtime a couple times. So yeah. I'm yeah. okay with it. It was just a rotten month all around. Yeah. I, I agree with you, uh, Sebastian. And, uh, it's just that there's not really a whole lot to pull from this month. that was good. So because Montombo did have a few good games here and there, and he almost stole the Canes a couple of games. I think he is deserving of it, but at the end of the day, I think this should just be a player of the year award. Whenever I think of the most award, I always think back to who I think was probably the most deserving candidate of all time was when Jeff Hackett won it three months in a row back when the Canadians were at their lowest, lowest, lowest point. Yep, yep, and Jeff yep. Hackett literally put the team on his back and said, follow me, boys, and he rode them into the NHL's basement regardless, but to a place that would be a lot better than where they possibly could have been. So I think Motombo kind of falls into a similar camp, but regardless, I think it's just, at this point, just hiding out these superlatives, just like applying a Band-Aid to a gaping flesh wound. And I think at this point, the Habs just need to admit that <laughs> things aren't going to be improving anytime soon. And they need to just 
buckle down and just drive out the rest of the season about any any superlatives. <laughs> I mean, he had a 42 save perform or something. Something like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's like a 25-year-old goaltender, which is still young for a goalie, and I don't know. Waiver pickup, no less. Waiver pickup, and uh, he... I don't know how it's viewed in the organization or on the team, but hey, if he gets named the player of the month and that brightens his spirit up a little bit, hey, why not in this terrible run that we've been having? Yeah, totally, especially considering that, yeah, like I said, waiver pickup, and he's been playing injured, and he's got no backup because, you know, Caden Primo needs to go back to the AHL ASAP you know, and have as many games as possible. And then we just go, we don't have any, anybody else at this point, which is why, um, well, let's get into the rumors phase because we need goaltending as well as everything else. Uh, Sebastian, you've been hearing, uh, and we mentioned this a little bit at the beginning of the show, and I want to pick your brain a little more about this rumor of Tyler Toffoli to Calgary. Like what exactly, what is it exactly you've been hearing on that front? So apparently the Calgary Flames like him a lot. So, I believe it was on Elliot Friedman's podcast today where he said that basically all the ex- executive in the league just have Tyler Toffoli's name penciled in for on the Flames playoff lineman, uh, lineup. So the sense around the league seems to be that Toffoli is going to be a flame. And the interesting thing there is just that like the Habs don't need to get rid of him, as Scott was saying. There's zero pressure. He's He's been the best forward on the Habs this season, along with, with Nick Suzuki. And Arturo Lekkinen, like, like, it's really just been those three guys that have been playing anywhere near their regular levels. And he has, what, another two years after this year on his contract? So there's, there's zero pressure to move him, meaning if the Habs trade him at the trade deadline, they are getting an absolute haul. And the player, or like, the assets to go after for with Calgary, there are three things that I would look at. The first would be Jacob Pelletier. This is a first-round pick from two years ago. Uh, he currently has 36 points in 36 games in the AHL, which is pretty freaking good. <laughs> That's a, in the pro level as a 20 year old, like that is. Yeah, I'm really excellent. high on him. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's an excellent prospect and he's very pro ready. He's a guy that you trade for and he goes straight into your lineup and you're set. Another thing I'd look at there is a first round pick because Calgary has been great this season, but if they meet, like the Colorado Avalanche in the playoffs in like the, the first round, I don't think they're winning that series, right? So that could be like a 25th overall pick or something like, like, like that, which is pretty solid because you always have good players fall in the draft. And the third thing that I would look at there is Dustin Wolf, who is a prospect that I know Scott loves. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I just saw you I've been meaning to talk about Dustin Wolf a lot. Yeah. And so we're just talking about goalies, right? And like, I like Caden Primo. He is no Dustin Wolf. Like, Dustin Wolf and Devin Levy are really my two favorite non like, like goalie prospects that aren't currently in the, in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jesper Wallstead is going to be better than, than both. But, like, in terms of, like, like they were both drafted in the seventh round. I, I yeah, love my underdogs. They were undersized. They fell. For, for Dustin Wolf, for a seventh round pick, is ridiculous. He's been one of the yeah. best goalies in the NHL this season. Exactly. So, those are the, the three things I'd, I'd look at, right? If you can get two of the three, Obviously, I think the first round pick is the least valuable of the three things there. Um, but if you can get like Pelletier in a first or Wolf in a first or Pelletier and Wolf, Wolf in a first. Wolf, <laughs> no, 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 no. Just two of the three. If you get yeah. Pelletier and Wolf for Toffoli, <laughs> that's a, that's a well, steal. Also if, 
but the houses the, the thing is the Calgary Flames have a lot of really talented AHL players at their disposal, like Matthew Phillips as well, guys who are just finding consistent roles in the team. So as a throw-in, I mean, the thing that I want, I've been trying to mention with the Canes for a while, and the thing that I think be interesting for them to look at is that this season in the AHL is one where there's been players who have posted legendary number well not legendary but numbers that are very much above what the standard expectation is for the league you have guys like Andrew Poltarowski who's posting post, you know, over two points a game with the Chicago Wolves you have TJ Tynan who's completely led the, the uh, Colorado Avalanche's affiliate in scoring and I think if you're looking to get those guys for absolutely nothing and give them a chance just to see what they can do I'd say sky's the limit I think Montreal should definitely look to the AHL to see what kind of guys are available because who knows maybe they can make an, make an impact for sure. And just like one, one last thing with Calgary is like one of the reasons that I think they'd be a good trade partner is like, obviously they're a great team and I think Foley would be incredible for them, but they just have so many things right on top of those three, like assets that I mentioned, they also have Matthew Coronado, who I also know that Scott loves, mm, right? Well, they, yeah. There's, there's a wealth of prospects. That one's, e- that and, one's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there, there's so many options, right? So if for instance, Calgary deems Petsy untouchable because he's putting up a point a game in the AHL, it's like, okay, in that case, give me Wolf and Coronado instead, right? Like, there's so much room to just, like, bargain with them. And, yeah, I, I, I just think Toffoli to Calgary, if a trade happens for Toffoli, I'm not, not convinced it's happening at the deadline. But if it does, I think Calgary is the place to look at. It makes sense at the same time, considering that um, Johnny Gojo is finally not going anywhere with the season that he's having. He's been absolutely electric to a point where people are actually starting to considering for as a heart trophy candidate. And, um, but he is a pending UFA. So it's going to be a matter of if the, if the fans can sign him. So, you know, you can still play with the worst case scenario for them being like, well, we lost Gojo, but we got to Foley. So not the same or, kind of player, or, but or alternatively, if they, if they end up having to trade Matthew Kachuk away because that's been going around for ages, oh, yeah. but then they downgrade the salary from a Kachuk to a Toffoli, they save $3 million, and then they can keep Kudrow because of that difference in salary, right? There are all these things that can happen with that. But yeah, it's going to be... I'm so excited for the deadline. It's going to be fun. It's going to be absolutely gonna... ridiculous. Uh, but I think but I think we can all agree, though, on one thing is that Ben Sherrod's getting traded for a first-round pick. Totally. It's, it's just more... And maybe even more. It's just a matter of who's going to be willing to to give that pick, and basically how high is it going to be? Um, Nashville. Well, I mean, if there's one team that I'm think? looking for personally, Patrick, I think it'd be Florida is a team that I'd look for for the Canadians to trade Chirac to if they're looking for a defensive piece. Because one of the things I love so much about the Panthers is that their offense is so deep that they can get rid of guys and still not lose much. I mean, you have Mason Marchman who's putting up point-per-game numbers. You have Carter Verhage who's putting up their point-per-game numbers. Anthony Duclair, and these are third-line players on this team. So yeah. if the Habs give Chirac, I think sky's the limit because Florida could be willing to part with one of these guys because they know they won't be missing much because their roster is just that deep. Funny you, say, funny you say that I because I, I actually, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> we, um, I actually wrote an article on, on uh, a winning habit.com today and, and wrote uh, Ben Sherrod as one of the likely players, obviously that's, that's going to be traded at the deadline. And Florida was actually my first pick along with Nashville um, being second. And then I added the Rangers and the Washington Capitals probably being the best suit, the best suitors only because, you know they're they're going to try to go all in obviously um josh uh what do you th- what, what do you think about the current you know ch- players available like like let's let's talk about well we don't have a choice we need to talk about jeff petrie a little bit because whether he starts playing again or not uh yeah, is going to be the mystery but i mean 
if he is to be traded, are we going going to get the haul that we expect from him? I mean, are general managers going to be going to be trading for the Petrie who was a Norris trophy candidate in the last two years, or are they getting the Jeff Petrie that doesn't give a damn. And basically his wife is Angela price 2.0 and controls everything in the household. Yes. I went there. Yeah. I think it's going to be, I mean, it obviously depends on your expectations for Petrie. I think it's going to skew a lot higher than what people would think if you just look at his stats this year, because those stats have been Mm. god awful. But it, like, yeah, he was a strong Norse candidate for much of last year until he kind of tailed off at the end, but there's still that. He's a solid. He's a very, very, very good second pairing defenseman that can come up to the first pairing for more extended periods of time, but not as not full time. Yeah, not full time as he's proven this year. Mm-hmm. So I and I think they're gonna. I think that a lot of particularly U.S. general managers are gonna look at his situation and see what's going on and understand some of the family troubles at home are stemming from yeah. the fact that his wife is in Michigan and he's pure and all the COVID stuff. So I think he's in line to get a really big, it, a good haul. I don't know how great of a haul with just how terribly bad this year has gone. But for a guy that could be borderline elite, moving defenseman there's gonna be a big uh, market for that maybe not in the uh at the trade deadline but definitely in the off season yeah it might it might actually end up being one of those you know off season trades especially now that Dusham is gone because it, it was pretty clear that those two did not get along um and that's what's been, been leaked all over the place as well but there is one trade um that has been brought up and I'm curious to know what you guys would think about this because I've, I've gotten a lot of polarizing comments about this. And the reason why it's come up is because uh, Julie Petrie is from Houston originally. So automatically the rumors of the Dallas stars came up and the name of John Klingberg has popped in as a potential trade for Jeff Petrie. Now mind you Klingberg is a, is a, is a free agent at the end of the year, but what if, you would pull off Kling, uh, Petrie for Klingberg in a sign and trade, you know, regardless of Klingberg making seven or eight million dollars a year or something, because I think it's 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 a, it would be a great upgrade. But is that a feasible trade, or like Josh said, we're looking at something more at you know probably the draft or something where we're going to be seeing a, a bigger package going on? Uh, Sebastian, I want to know your take first. Um, okay. I don't, I don't think that trading for Klingberg would make too much sense for the Habs just with the direction that they're taking, right? Like if they're, if they trade for Klingberg who's what, like 29 or 30 years old, like, yeah, late 20. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, like, look, I think Klingberg would be an upgrade over Petrie, at least the Petrie that's, that's playing in Montreal right now. Right. And I, what I think would be more likely is if Dallas trades away Klingberg to some contender for a package and then turns around and acquires Petrie from Montreal. I think that kind of a 
acquisition would make more sense because Dallas has a bunch of prospects that uh, Montreal would really like. Um, think of Logan Stankoven, who is the guy that I would have drafted instead of Logan Mayu at the draft. I, I love him. And the guy that I would have drafted the year before instead of Caden Gooley is Maverick Bork. Both of those were drafted by the Dallas Stars way later than they should have gone. And the yeah, name of Maverick Book has actually showed up in those rumors as well. So Exactly. Yeah. So if you can get one of those two for Petrie, call it, I would personally just call it a day and be happy with it. Mm. Uh, another name that would be probably untouchable at this point is Wyatt Johnston, who was Dallas's first-round pick this year, kind of off the board. He's leading the OHL in points now. He has 60 points in 30 games. or, or No, 64 points in 31 games. It's ridiculous. Um, but Dallas has prospects, like, like some really good high-end prospects to, to trade away. So if they trade away Klingberg and then want Petrie, the Habs could demand a Logan Stankoven and, or Maverick Bork. And if they do that, I'm, I'm going to throw a party and call it a day. Dallas even has prospects that have chemistry together that they can acquire. Like guys like Ty Delandrea and Evgeny Uxinchuk played together for the Flint Firebirds and demonstrated insane chemistry with each other. So that, that has a lot to look for with Dallas, especially especially with the situation of Dallas's goaltending being that they have one extra goaltender now they're trying to get rid of an Anton Kudobin. So it'll mm. be interesting to see how things play out. Yeah, because like you like we said, we need goaltending for the rest of the year. That's for that's for darn sure. A guy like like Kubotin actually might actually might actually make sense uh, for the Habs. And they capped up, so yeah, exactly. So before we move, yeah, exactly. Um, you mean pre beach ball anti Niami, right? (laughs) Pre forget, pre forgetting where his crease is. There you go. Before we go to Josh and on this day in history, and then we're uh, we're we're gonna go to uh, some prospect talk after because um, we need to talk about Logan Mayu a little bit, unfortunately. And and Jan Maisak, who's also having an incredible run lately, amongst others. Um, there is one player, and this is really just a shot in the dark. I mean, I sincerely doubt it's going to happen. But given his talent, given his age, especially um, any team, whether you're a contender or a rebuild or a middle of the pack, would want to get this guy. I'm talking about Jacob Chikrun in, in Arizona. Uh, this is... I, I love this guy. I, I've always been a huge fan of him. Uh, you could definitely build a defensive core around him. Is this a player that is, well, is it possible to get him with our current roster and also with Arizona as being a trade partner? I mean, everyone, okay, guy, okay, I, I, if this were a lot, like, you know, a visual show, everyone would see everyone just shaking their heads. No, 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 no. It's as believable as PK Subban coming back to Montreal next year. And we, <laughs> why are people talking about that? I mean, seriously, it's like, because your dad brought it up. <laughs> oh, okay. Blame the messenger. Right? Blame the messenger, Mr. Lodi. <laughs> Blame the son of the messenger, so I say. <laughs> there you go. But to be fair, I also wrote an article about it, so I'm guilty as charged. <laughs> so, no, but I mean, I, I, Arizona has like a billion dollars in cap space. Um, and I know that no, they want to get rid of all the high, the high price salaries and everything. But I mean, if they come knocking and they say, we want the rights to Jordan Harris, we want Caden Gooley, for example, we want, you know, prospects, do you give it up and you go get Jacob Chikrun, or do you just be like, forget it? It's just not going to happen because it's just be way too darn expensive. I mean, the rumors are that they're asking for an Eichel package of the equivalent of four first rounders. Um, no, like <laughs> I like Jacob Chikrun yes. a lot, but he's not an Eichel. Like he's well, not a top 
15 player in the league. <sighs> the thing I have to mention about Chikrin that's that I think is important is that last season, I think it's for a long time I thought Chikrin was a really frustrating player to watch, especially when he was early in his career. And then last season, I thought finally, this is the player I've been looking for 18 goals, 23 assists, an absolutely dominant offensive defenseman. And that was with the same Arizona Cody's team that they have this year. So the fact that he struggled this much this year, pretty much the same lineup, makes me question just how exactly how high Chikrin's ceiling actually is and whether he will be able to succeed on the more talented team. While those 18 goals are promising, I just think he's a, a very much a wild card at this point, and especially not one who's worth what Jack Eichel was commanding when Vegas got him. Yeah, exactly. All right, Professor Rosa, are you there, sir? Yeah, we're going back to the classics for this. So yeah, are you re- are you ready to uh, to uh, educate us mortals with your uh, <laughs> with your highly classic uh, history lessons? <laughs> The floor is yours, sir. Take it away with On This Day in Habs History. On this day, February 9th, the year of our Lord, 1984, Guy Lafleur scored three goals and one assist, but the Habs still lost 7-6 to the Vancouver Canucks. But what's noteworthy is that Lafleur goal marked his 1,220th point, which marks his passing of Jean Beliveau as Montreal's all-time leading scorer, a position he still holds to this day. Lafer retired from the NHL as a Canadian in 1985 with 1,246 points, but Lafleur wasn't done playing three more seasons with the New York Rangers Quebec Nordiques years later adding another 107 points to his career. And we aren't done with Lafleur either. On February 10th, 1972, Lafleur scored three goals assist against the Chicago Blackhawks as the Habs won this one 7-1. It was Lafleur's third hat-trick of his rookie season, and it's the first time a rookie scored three hat-tricks in the modern NHL era. On February 9th, 1924, the NHL announced its very individual trophy, the Hart, given to the player deemed most valuable on their team. The trophy was donated by Dr. David Hart, the father of Cecil Hart, Montreal's head coach from 1926 to 1932, and 1936 to 1939. And in that time, he won three Stanley Cups. Montreal's last two Hart winners were both goalies, Carey Price and Jose Theodore. Habs, past Habs winners and stars Herb Gardner, Aurel Joliat, Babe Seibert, and some other guys like Rocket Richard, two-time winners Jean Bellevue and and three-time winner Howie Varenz. And on February 9th, 1894, in Penetanguishene, Ontario, Bertram Orion Pig Iron Corbeau, whose likeliness graces one of the rarest hockey cards of all time for First off, as a hockey player, Corbeau was a defensive veteran of 10 NHL seasons. He was a member of the first Canadiens team to win the Stanley Cup, the first player to record 100 penalty minutes in a single season, and the first Toronto Maple Leafs captain. So, how exactly did this somewhat obscure defenseman get saddled with one of the rarest hockey cards of all time? Well, in 1926, an Ontario company, Patterson's, based the Patterson's Hockey Bar, which boasted that with every chocolate bar comes a hockey card. 
collect all 40 different hockey cards and you win a brand new pair of skates. Only Patterson didn't want to ship out hundreds of skates across Canada, so they short printed one card, which just happened to the old iron here. To make it worse, and in the claim prize, people at Patterson would punch a hole in the card to make sure that it was counted, which depreciates value. Today, there are only two known mint Burt Carbo Patterson cards in existence. And lastly, February 9th, 1958, was the birthday of NHL All-Star Chris Knuckles Nylon. After playing just 668 games, Nylon is one of only nine players to have registered over 3,000 penalty minutes. He has the most penalty minutes of any American-born player. One year, Nylon had 141 penalty minutes in a single postseason, which is another record. He has the most penalty minutes per game at 4.42 minutes per game. As a member of the Bruins, Nylon was assessed six minor penalties, two major penalties, a misconduct and a game misconduct in one game for 10 penalties of 42 minutes, which is another record. And he changed the rules of the All-Star game, surprisingly, because in 1991, Mike Milbury, who got to select all of the Eastern All-Stars, selected him and another grinder, Ryan Scruckland, over players like Kirk Muller, who was great for Montreal, and the aforementioned Guy Lafleur. And it's no surprise that his mill, his Wales Conference lost the All-Star Game 11-5 to that year. And after that, the NFL State changed the All-Star Collection to a committee instead of just one coach. And then people thought John Scott making the All-Star Game was a crazy thing, but apparently it's happened more than once. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Josh. For the little time we have left, well, we need to give some space to Sebastian and Scott because, you know, everyone's in the house tonight. We got prospects to talk about. And um, before we uh, go into the controversial name that we mentioned earlier, um, I did want to ask you guys a question. There is a certain goaltender making a lot of noise in the NCAA right now. Uh, A fifth round pick out of the Czech Republic, now playing for Ohio State University by the name of, excuse me if I'm not pronouncing this properly, Jacob Dobes. My, my pronoun- Dobesh. 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 Jacob Dobesh. Dobesh, this year with Ohio State in the NCAA, currently has a 26-2 and record, 2.01 GAA, and a 9.38 save percentage. Absolutely ridiculous now with my uh limited uh ncaa experience i'm going to go towards to the experts uh scott and sebastian uh is this guy for real is this guy a legit prospect or is this one of those things where you know what you look good in the in in the juniors and yeah it's pretty much going to be the story of his life 
I mean, he, he's, a, he's an interesting one because he was drafted, I believe, as a D plus one. Uh, and I think he's even pretty old for his original draft class. But it was really just 20, banking. Yeah, he's 20 this year. So, yeah. Yeah. So he, it was basically just banking on the skill set. So he's extremely athletic. He's really, he's, he's huge. He's really big. Yeah, um, six four. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's really just banking on that, like, like, I mean, the Habs have done this for the last couple of years, right? Just drafting massive goalies. They did it with Dobek. They did, they did it the year before with uh, Frederick Deschau. And they did it last year with Joe Bobetic, right? Just drafting massive goalies and hoping it works out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, like, thing is, like, no goalie can put up that, the, those tallies and it just be luck, right? Like, like, there's definitely an element of skill in there and ability. At the same time, you still see really good NCAA goalies flunk and same thing with NCAA players. So it's, it's hard to say off of one season because also in past seasons in the USHL, they, like last year, Dobesh uh, caught off to an insane start in the USHL. I think after, like through the first like seven or 10 games, uh, he was like top of the league in like every single stat of like wins, shutouts, goals against average and save percentage. And then it just like, it just took a dive afterwards. Also has to be noted, his record is what, 26 and two? 20 and six. You're saying? Um, 20, sorry. 26. Yeah, 26. 20 and six, yeah. 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 Like, to get that record. I had lost that. Sorry, 26 and two. Sorry. <laughs> he's playing on a ridiculous team, right? And that automatically bumps up the value. Uh, like, it makes it way easier to get those higher numbers. Mm-hmm. And, like, the shot, like, the quality of the shots are going to be lower. However, it's a great season for him. And, yeah, I mean, honestly, both, uh, like, him and Deshaw, Deshaw has been great this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he, he's the sweet, the, the, the Danish goalie that, that, that the Habs have, and he's going to the Olympics uh, for, for team Denmark. And he's going to, and he's signed with the uh, Frolunda of the SHL for next season. So next season, you're going to have him on a way bigger, like uh, stage to see how good he is rather than the second tier pro division in Sweden right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's goalies are just so weird to evaluate because some of them look amazing on draft day and they fall off. Others are nobodies, and then they, became, they become elite. I, I find it really difficult to evaluate them just by watching them. But yeah, Dobash, highly skilled, super athletic. He needs a bit more composure in this game. He can, like, some of his side-to-side movements are, like, like think of, like, Morazic, but big in some, in some mm-hmm. ways of just, he flails sometimes. He's issues movements regardless. Exactly. To remember that. Exactly. But he's an interesting prospect, and his stats this year are in- insane. And I think another good point to mention really quick is that last year with the Omaha Lancers, Dobesh was one of the few goalies in the USHL who actually logged big minutes. He played 47 games, logged 1,000 minutes in that. So he's proven he can play those kind of starters minutes. For sure. So it would be interesting to see how things progress, especially with how talented a team Ohio State actually is. So do you guys want to talk about the 31st overall pick? Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna uh, mention something to us. And have you seen this Lucas Evans guy? I've been following him from yeah. the Podnax. He's he, like, what a weird story he is. He, he's he's not someone I draft personally, Lucas Edmonds. So th- th- this is a player who I, I, I'll end up is, with a team though. Certainly, like his story, he has to end up with an NHL team. Can you tell? Can you oh, tell us exactly he, what the story is first? He's so going to get drafted. This guy, uh, well, this guy was. He, so this is the leading scorer on Shane Wright's team, and I looked him up because I had no clue who he was. And he was a guy who spent his junior career in the Swedish leagues, played one game in the SWHL, played a year in the Swedish first division, and then went to the OHL, which is unheard of for most guys. It's pretty rare that you see yeah. a guy do that. So he's basically a guy who's had experience in a men's league who's now playing junior and is just dominating. 
Yeah, his path has been weird. He's, he was born in North Bay, uh, and then he moved to Sweden for, for hockey when he was, like, 15 or something, and then he came back. So he, like, he looks great in the OHL. I mean, also 63 points in 38 games. Wait a second. He's also 21. He's in his overage season. He, yeah. he is 21 years old playing exactly. against 17-year-olds. Like, yeah. that, is, that is the massive thing that you have to notice here. And the, the, like, he was an interesting player to get drafted in his first draft-eligible season. Uh, this is the – and I believe that was the 2020 draft. And he was, he was already really old mm-hmm. for that draft class, but it was his first year of eligibility. Mm-hmm. The reason that he didn't get drafted that year was he uh, – the interviews that he did, no one liked him. Extremely cocky kid at, in, in his first draft year. I'm not sure how things have gone since then, but all the talk about, like, why he went undrafted then was because of just cockiness and – Low work ethic and all these things. With Yakupov. Any any reason yeah. any reason why he uh, before this year he spent uh, most of his uh, juniors playing playing in Sweden? I mean, is this to say family? Oh, he's Sweden. He's. Uh, I think it's like he, he was he born. One, he was born he here, one, but then moved back to, to Sweden. He or? had one Swedish parent, yeah. and then it just he decided to, get, okay. to develop in Sweden. Okay. Um, and but he's he's an interesting player to watch because like. The first game I went to the season uh, of the OHL was uh, 67s versus Kingston game. And Edmonds was a player that stood out immediately. And I was like, who is this guy? And then I looked, I, I looked up the numbers and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this name. He was draft eligible a couple of <laughs> years ago. And I remember I, 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 I remembered him. And but then you start watching his game. It's like, OK, yeah, he's he's really quick. He stands out 100 percent. He has some grit. He's a good passer, has a good shot. But. It's really just all these toolkits that he's better at because he's older. He's not an overager that I would draft personally. In terms of OHL overagers, I would look more at like Kevin Robertson. Talk about a guy like Josh Hosang, I would say he's a really good comparison for a similar type of player because Hosang is an unbelievably talented player, but there's also that ego and there's also that issue with coming um, And he loves Hose, to sleep Hose, in too. Oh no, Hosang <laughs> has great skill. Edmonds, he's good skill, but it doesn't jump off the page when you're watching him on the mm-hmm. ice. Um. Yeah, I, not a guy I draft personally, but it's a fun storyline considering he's yeah, actually on everyone's is... like radar now, whereas he was completely off it last year. Well, I'm actually right. doing a story for the. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm just doing a story for the another news that I stumbled upon, which is funny. There's a guy I found in the LNAs this year who's 42 years old and is playing his 19th season of professional hockey. Amazing. He was. Uh, he's a kid from Beaupre, Quebec who was a star in the, in the Swiss B League for 10 years, and then he came over to the LNAH. So it's, I've been, I was researching his story all day. It's pretty freaking... His name is uh, Alexandre Tremblay. So yeah, he's good at including my other news. I think he's a worth a look. It's a pretty fun little story. Yeah, we'll try to remember it and, uh, and maybe pay, post his profile on our, uh, our Twitter feed and, uh, mm. and, and follow that story. That's actually really, really, really cool. Um, we were talking about the Band-Aid earlier, Sebastian. I'm really like, I just want to get a reaction of you. I mean, I know you don't like the guy and everything, but he's playing with a chip on his shoulder and he's trying to prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still not convinced. I mean, it is what it is, but Logan Mayu. Uh, yes, now he just he is down with an injury right now. He's going to be out for the yeah. next two or three weeks. Uh, but you can't deny that he has been absolutely fire in his first six games of the season with the London Knights, uh, nope. posting eight points. Uh, mm-hmm. being all over the place, hitting like a maniac, uh, just really trying to prove everyone wrong. But again, is this just one of those situations where this is the real Logan Mayu? Is he just trying to, you know, 
like get like you know like make everyone understand that he is worth it is this just a, a hot streak at the right time um because i mean even like aside from you know the controversy when we were first drafted mm-hmm. him and everything everyone still uh, agreed to the fact that he is a legitimate hockey player and he is and he can be an nhl talent and a regular one at that um we could roll our eyes all we want about it um it is a fact. So I'd like to know your, your opinion of it. Like, since I know you follow a little bit of the OHL as well, uh, what are your thoughts on my use play? And is it, but is, is it too early to really, you know, give a proper evaluation in this case, or is this what we should expect out of him? I've watched Cuba's games this season so far, and I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen any progression from his play last year um, in, in Sweden. It's, it's the exact same thing. And it's, He's an interesting player like, on the ice as well uh, because he's, he's the type of guy that like he captivates fans' attentions uh, when they just look at the stat sheets, right? It's the same thing like if you look at like last year, Sasha Pastajov. Yeah, yeah. Every, every fan that, that, that didn't watch but like just saw the stats, they're like, how is this guy not in the top 15? And it's like yeah. when you watch him, you see the issues. Uh, let me let me just let me just add to yeah, that like, for 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 everyone listening and wondering. Like, if you're looking at uh, my use uh, bio in you know this this year has eight points in six games in Sweden last year 15, 15 yeah and three goals uh, last year in Sweden uh, seven eight fifteen fifteen points in nineteen games yeah. uh, with the London Nationals sixty eight points in forty eight games twenty goals yeah. in thirty two games with Toronto forty four and sixty so like this is a like he scores like a forward for crying out loud and everyone's like yeah. wow he must be you know he's the next Chris Chelios or Paul Coffey or whatever the case is but which which is why a lot of fans are like oh. Like it's it's only because of the controversy that they didn't go top ten when that's not the case at all. A lot of people didn't have him in their first like top, in their top fifty because when you watch him, um, like he he's a really infuriating player to watch because he he has the skill. He has one of the best shots of all defensive prospects in the league. Like his shot is tremendous, but when you have a defenseman and their shot is the, like their best quality you have an issue like Shea Weber is known for a shot, but his best quality was his defense. Right. And with my, it's that yes, him point of points in junior is not surprising to me at all because he has the toolkit to do it. He has a great shot. He ha- has good like lateral mobility and he can walk the blue line and he's smart enough to find a little gap in the offensive zone to drift into and then take an set up for a slap shot and get it right. Which is why he's putting up points right now. And I'm not surprised whatsoever that he has all these points in six games. However, if you actually watch him through, like, like just not in the offensive zone with the puck, you're seeing the issues. So he, his, his hockey IQ and anticipation are, way lower than what you'd expect for a first round pick um he misses reads regularly defensively his gap control is super inconsistent he just yeah he he misses all these reads and and i just i i don't see nhl defense out of him like on the defensive side raw player at the end of the day super raw like if you can teach him to play defense Sure. Then, then, then I'm, I'm starting to get curious about the, the player. Um, but just in terms of so looking, everything he's looking doing. At a kid who's played 10 total games in the OHL. Yeah, and while he was sure, good in sure. the Greater Ontario League, that's the Greater Ontario League. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And even if he did. Yeah, all, all my observations are the same. 
if, if, if it is the kind of player that we're looking at, I mean, do we really want another like Rasmus Ristolainen on our team, for example, right? Exactly. I mean, that's, right. that's exactly that's that kind of player. Honestly, and in today's Ristolainen NHL... is, is a very good comparison in terms of just profile of the offensive like skill and flair is there. Yeah. The size is there. And when NHL coaches see size, like, oh, he's good defensively. Well, that's just not the case. Yeah. Right? I also like to point out Josh has seen a bunch of Guelph Storm games before, you know, everything closed off and everything. And he was saying how uh, Sasha Pasta job is one of those exam prime examples as well. How, you know, overinflated the stat, the stat sheet is. Yeah. And right? like, look, I think, I think Pasta job was a great draft pick for the ducks in the third round. Like that, 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 it's a great swing to take at that point. It's not a guy I touched in the top personally. 20. Yeah. Like I would, I just wouldn't have touched him in the first 20 because he just, he, he does not move his feet at all. He just drifts low effort. Yeah. Well, and... I, think, I think the thing to mention quickly with my ears going back really quick is that what the Habs reputation of drafting defensemen is that they either turn out to be guys who contribute to the team or guys who appear in a few games here and there and then disappear. We can talk about Brett Lerman. We can talk about Joe Hayden. We can talk about Ryan Johnson. We can talk about the endless amount of defensemen the Habs have drafted who were in a similar boat to Mayu who had that raw ability and they just weren't able to showcase anything beyond that raw ability. So I think yeah. we just have to wait a bit more to see what the jury is with Mayu. Again, it's impossible to make a blanket statement on, on any prospect when they're this young. Like, it, like mm-hmm. it, it can't be done. Like, like, there's so much development left, right? And even if you, like for prospects that are doing great, they are one terrible injury away from flunking, or they're they're or one, one terrible terrible coach, or one it, all these things, right? So it, it's impossible to tell. It's all about like possibilities and like how like, probabilities really. But with Mayu, I I think the most concerning thing with him on the ice is that all of the issues I saw last year are just as bad now. Like they're not being shown as much because he's playing against junior competition now or his last year is against pros. So he's not like his mis his misreads aren't actually causing goals against as much as they were last year, but oh, yeah. it's just, it's all, it's all the same. And unless that gets coached out of him, I feel like he might get rushed to the NHL and everyone be like, whoa, what is this? Because that is not what we thought we'd get. Hmm. All right. One final uh, round table before we uh, call it a shoe, because uh, we are running out of time. Um, and uh, the final question of the night, and I don't know what, let's stick with the prospects. Uh, are we still dreaming about Shane Wright? I mean, is he still our our goal for this year. And especially if we do land the number one pick, which I still have my reservations because I don't know, it just smells weird. And Gary Bettman loves to give um, Arizona freebies. So <laughs> I'm going to start a with a lot of freebies. I'm going to start with Scott, then Josh, you're up next. And then we'll, we'll end the show with Sebastian. Um, is Shane Wright still the, the goal and the undisputed number one draft pick for this upcoming draft? I think Shane Wright is a really, really talented player and a player who will benefit whichever initial team he gets drafted to greatly. Personally, I like Matthew Savoie more. I think Matthew Savoie is a more interesting player, and I think he's just a player that I personally prefer for his upside. I know something been going on with the QMJHL. I don't think Savoie is the first overall pick, and I still think that Shane Wright should be the first overall pick. But in my opinion, I just see more upside at the end of the day with Matthew Savoie. And while I think that Shane Wright is a player that the Canadians would be very, very lucky to have, and while I agree with you, Patrick, that the chances of, of us winning the draft lottery are slim, and there's something fishy in the air with just the Canadians winning the draft lottery. I mean, we haven't won since 1980, and then we went and freaking drafted Doug Wickenheiser, so we see how that turned out. But 
I think personally that Shinrei is a really talented player, but he's just one who isn't going to be the game-breaking Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid star. In my own opinion, I see Shinrei being much more of a Nico Hischer kind of guy who will be a really, really solid player, just not a game-breaking talent at the end of the day. Yeah, because are we looking at another situation like in two, like in twenty twenty, for example, where Lafreniere went first overall, but Stutzle is basically the the better. Well, the issue with Lafreniere at the end of the day is also playing in Gerald Gallant's system, and also there's and... a reason why competitive teams don't draft first overall. Exactly, Josh, your take on Shane Ray? Yeah, everything I've seen and heard from him, I really like. It helps that no one else has kind of stepped up and taken that mantle from him because like we've been talking about lately well the the prospect heroes have been talking about anyone in the top five is really really good I think Shane Wright would be really good for this team I know there's been comparisons or talk of him being like a uh uh yeah a really solid it's like two lines, second line center thing behind, uh, behind Suzuki, like kind of one A one B thing, which I think would be very good. The more offensive and the more defensive, I think. I especially with no one else jumping out at me, I think they should really just not overthink this and just get right. Yeah, I, I I like Shane Wright actually. I think a lot of people are have been have gotten too low on him this season. Um, he reminds me like in his play a lot of Andre Kopitar. He's the comparison I'd make personally. So not McDavid, not a Crosby, not one of those like top five players in the league. But I could I could see Selkie. I could see I could see just a really solid fan favorite first line centerman out of Shane Wright. If he's developed properly, he gets one of the best shots in this draft class. Um, but what you, what you said on, uh, on um, like, like your question, how it was phrased was like, should that still be the goal? Right. What I like about this draft class is I, I, I still, I like Shane Wright a lot. I don't think that he is that like hundred percent lock at number one. Like if, if Montreal gets to the, like, if there's a scenario like theoretically and I get to make a decision at first overall who I pick and all my scouts are saying Logan Cooley or Brad Lambert, and I still kind of want to do Shane, Wright, I could be convinced otherwise. I, I would not be hundred percent. Like, I don't care what you guys are saying. We're drafting Shane, Wright Because there are also like the other players behind them. I don't think are that far behind. So if you're drafting the top five, I think you're really, really happy. So that's kind of that like, nice thing about this draft is that, yeah, winning the lottery would, would be amazing. But if you don't, it's okay too, because I think, I think Logan Cooley would be maybe the best fit for the Habs in terms of play style. He, he's really solid defensively. I, I also think he, he's, he's, he's also a more dynamic offensive player than Shane Wright. His shot isn't as good. But he he brings that that dynamism and speed that like Nick Suzuki doesn't, and I think that'd be a really good complement on two lines as like as your one A one B center. So I think Cooley would be a great option. The defensemen are all really good. Like Simon Nemitz, I think would be a great right defenseman to draft. Um, but yeah, there's just so many good options, and Brad Lambert's always a favorite of mine because he's just that modern guy that reminds me a lot of um, like. This past draft, uh, William Eklund, who 
looked great in the NHL in his seven games or nine games when he when he played a little bit at the start of the season. And yeah, so I, I don't I don't think that it should be like it's first overall pick or nothing for the Habs because no matter what, you're getting a great player this year and you should be excited no matter who they draft. And it's more about next year. And if if they can add Connor Bedard, that's a year where I where it's not first overall pick or nothing because Matvey Mitchkov would still be far and away the best player in this draft class. I also think Adam Fantilli would be the best player in this draft class if he were eligible. And then there are a couple of names after that uh, that would also be contending for first overall. Um, so a top five pick in the 2023 draft would be mind boggling. Uh, and first overall would just be like party for two weeks straight kind of thing. But <laughs> this, th- this year, I wouldn't complain about anything in the top five. First overall pick would be a bonus, but yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. With oh yeah. I mean, especially if you consider that your, your, your middle line would consist of Nick Suzuki, Shane Wright, or anybody in the top three or four for that matter. Yeah. And then you got Jake Evans who's and paling and Paling's you got been Ryan, and paling has been solid. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty decent middle line and, so, young. and young. So you never know how that's, how that's going to develop. So, um, I love your um, your take when you say like if we win the lottery, it would be great. Because yes, if we won the lottery, we could do this show every single day. Hooray! <laughs> no, look, if if it comes to the point next year and the Habs are in contention for the for, for the draft lottery for Connor Bedard, we have to live stream that and uh, just just to get on tape our reactions <laughs> to either heartbreak, extreme happiness of Mitchkov. Or like absolute celebration and um, perhaps a little bit of alcohol consumption for kind um, <clears throat> of dark. So I, yeah. I don't I don't know, man. I'm I'm so used to disappointment when it comes to oh, me too. Day. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a slice. Thank you so much for uh, for being here. Thank you also to Anthony Demarco for being part of the show. I also want to give a, a, a secondary. Uh, thank you to Sebastian High, who did a bang-up job last week, taking over not only the hosting duty, but the production as well. It was all his. So last episode was all Sebastian. Thank you so much, sir. You did a bang-up job and very impressed. It was, fun. Yeah, it, was it was a great show. Thanks th- thanks again. And uh, remember, everyone, so now it's, uh, you're probably going to be listening to this uh, episode on Thursday. Um, Marty St. Louis is going to be part of, of that episode. Um, press conference in the morning he is supposed to be behind the bench against the washington capitals so don't make sure not to miss that game that's gonna be pretty uh, pretty special and of course we're gonna be talking about how he did in his first week on the next episode so make sure you chat with us on twitter on facebook puckandroll.com puckandroll at gmail.com if you want to send us a message or even be part of the show if you want we're pretty cool guys so make sure to follow us everywhere thank you so much and we will chat with you next week peace
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.